Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and we are going to look at the first 15 verses tonight. John, chapter 13. A story has been told of the late boxer that everyone has probably heard the name of, Muhammad Ali. It was told as a very detailed, specific, true story that he entered an airplane and went to first class, of course, sat down. The flight attendant came by and asked him to buckle his seatbelt, as well as others. And that was her first pass. She made another pass, and she came up and saw that he had not buckled his seatbelt. And she said, Mr. Ali, you are going to have to buckle your seatbelt for the flight. And, you know, checked on everyone else. She came around a third time, and the airplane, they were ready to take off. They were ready to taxi down the runway and, and get the flight underway. But on the third time, his seatbelt still wasn't on. And... She said, Mr. Ali, we cannot take off until you buckle your seatbelt. And he said, I don't need to buckle my seatbelt. She said, of course you do. Everyone has to buckle their seatbelt. And he said, Superman didn't need no seatbelt. And she said, Superman didn't need no airplane either. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I, especially told as an actual true story, what a, what a great response. It gave me a laugh. I've heard a few laughs, but there's some sadness in that because you, what do you hear in that? You hear self-sufficiency, you know, you hear self-esteem. It might even overlap into self-love is what it sounds like to me. Not just with the way he might have been. I don't know if he's that way all the time, but not, not just in that instance with him, but for so many in the world. And, and even, even Christians, we can, you know, the Apostle Paul, when you read Romans chapter 7, you find that he had that struggle with trying to do in his own ability. And so even Christians can have this problem. And so with that, there's something for us to see to help this with the washing of the disciples' feet. And so that's where we'll begin reading in John chapter 13 and verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth up from supper, and laid aside his garments, and, a, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth the water into a basin, 
And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore he said, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. It's Valentine's Day. And a preacher doesn't like to be confined to a theme a lot of times. He'll have something else on his heart on a, on a particular day. And so sometimes you might not get a Thanksgiving message or something, or you'll, you'll get whatever's on the heart. But we're going to share the Savior's love tonight. And look at how the Savior's love put others first. The Savior's love is a firm foundation. And the Savior's love faithfully serves. The message tonight, we pray, would help. That we might see that love is action. And it puts others first. It is a firm foundation. And the love of Christ produces through us faithful service to others. So you look with me in verse 4. And we see that, that Christ's love is putting others first. He riseth up from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. It is so easy to put ourselves first. We do it without even realizing it. And next thing you know, we have been self-centered in something, and we've neglected others. The world is helping with that. The world is always telling us to be a better you. Happy you year. Everything screams, it's all about you. There's a certain group in this world, and they say, don't have any children, and for this reason, they will hinder your life and you can be happy to do what you want to do with your life. If you don't have any children, 
Please don't let me hear an amen. <laughs> but the world is saying these things and telling us in a million different ways, it's all about you. Put you first. Society is working on our self-love and our self-esteem all the time. The high schoolers are, are being ingrained with, I need to have self-esteem. And there's nothing said about Savior esteem or Savior love, but self-love, self-esteem. What's so wrong with that? Well, what we find the example of in our Lord Jesus Christ tonight in this word is the opposite of what the world is telling us about it being all about self. And I love, I love the detailed account of the physical steps. Don't you? Because you can picture it, right? He, he riseth from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel. He girded himself with it. And, and he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I mean, you can picture that, and it's beautiful, but it might also cause us to spiritually picture how our Lord Jesus Christ laid aside heaven to come to this sinful earth for you and I, to suffer for you and I. Jesus is our sovereign God, and he became a servant. Jesus descended while Satan tried to ascend himself to be like God. Satan wanted to be a better him. He thought it was all about him. So he wanted to be God. In Philippians 2, it says that Jesus made himself of no reputation. People are racing to go from nothing to something in this world. While Jesus went from everything in the glory of heaven to making himself to be of no reputation. The disciples were learning from him. The disciples were following him and they were really trying to absorb this and learn. And it took them a while, as you might remember them sitting around talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, as I looked more into that, that event of the disciples, it it wasn't about greatness that was the problem. I've never said anything contrary to this, but it just seems like I saw something more clearly that it wasn't about the condition of greatness that they were wanting because God makes his people great. God uses his people for great things. It was about the competition of it. I, I preached a sermon to the teenagers several years ago called Competitive Christianity. And of course, I was rebuking that. And so the disciples were really trying to absorb this and learn this. 
But the competition was the big problem the Lord had with that. God's making us great. And a primary part of greatness is putting others first. So many people have it opposite. That, that to look great is, is to supersede others. To be great is to serve others. Putting others first. The first Sunday school class I was ever a part of was an adult Sunday school class. And it was called the joy class. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And Big Bob, he made emphasis of that all the time. And what did I know? I would sit and hear it like, that, that's, yeah, that sounds nice. That sounds like probably the way it should be. You know, we're still learning that. And none of us have mastered that. As a matter of fact, we're not here to beat each other up, but, but we, we can understand that we, we do fall short of this. But, but a primary part of greatness is putting others first. That, that's an expression of love, to put someone else first. It takes love to put others first. It also takes humility to put others first. What is humility? Humility is not publicly degrading ourselves. Humility is not talking down about ourselves or, or constantly publicizing that we are not good. Paul did say that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, and that's a fact, but it wasn't for humility, uh, a false humility that he was saying that. To publicly announce that would be like a, a false humility. You know, Jesus was not thinking poorly of himself when he washed the disciples' feet. He knew who he was. Look at, look at verse 3 with me. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that the Father gave him all things. And he laid it aside to wash the disciples' feet. Putting others first. That, that's, humil that's a beautiful definition of humility, if you ask me. To be exalted, but not be inflated. That's, that's where you fall between the lines of with humility. You know, and it takes love to put others first. And that is something... That the Christian can always do. Because that's what we are to be doing with God's love. So therefore, if, if we were, are using God's love properly, He's going to keep it flowing. And there's going to be a desire that we would put others first and love others first. It's something that we can always do and God will make sure we never run out. Once we learn the practice of spiritual love for one another, it, it never has to stop. When love and humility collide and we're not concerned about me, myself, and I first, 
but we're concerned about our neighbor first. This is the Savior's love. The Savior's love puts others first. The Savior's love is a firm foundation. Look with me in verse 1 again. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. The physical life of Jesus was about to come to the end and he was about to go to the cross, but his love continued for his disciples. And his disciples sometimes weren't easy to love. We, we already talked about their debate of who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There were times they had, they had big doubts and little faith. Yet he loved them. Jesus never excused himself from loving someone else. He never gave a reason. He never conjured up anything to try to convince himself or justify himself not to love someone. Neither will we when we are led by Christ-like love. Jesus didn't, didn't expect others to, to know his pressures of him going to the cross. He didn't vent. He didn't get grouchy. This is tearing me up if it's not you. This love of Christ. That he went into the garden of Gethsemane. And he sweat as it were. Great drops of blood. And didn't take it out on his disciples. Around him. Who were so close. He didn't show frustration and irritability, but instead he loved. Just before the cruel crucifixion, he loved with an everlasting love. So, this love in a child of God, we're to love during tough times. We've all failed at this. But maybe we're growing. Maybe we're convicted. And we're to love in the toughest of times. We have work to do to appropriate this love, which is a firm foundation. Jesus Christ has showed us, shown us in every way that his love is a firm foundation. And that's the way we're to be loving. Anyone can love when times are good. But this love is active when times are bad. There he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sweating as it were great drops of blood. But he poured out love to others under his great stress. That he was going through. He was under extreme pressure. Before the cross. But what did he do? 
What, what do we find in the Gospels before Jesus went to the cross? Days before and even hours before. He was comforting his disciples. He was preparing them for the future without his physical presence. And he was giving them everything they needed to be successful children of God. To know that they could continue forward and do the things of God. And that he was going to go away and the comforter was going to come. And the Comforter is the Holy Spirit who would be with them, who would empower them to do the work of God. He was encouraging them and he was comforting them under the great stress of the cross that was, that was very near. Jesus' love is always with his people. You are loved tonight. You're being loved by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right now. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Who loves the end of Romans chapter 8? Who loves all of Romans chapter 8? And then, and then when he goes on into principalities and powers, nor anything shall separate us from the love of Christ. What a firm foundation this love is. Steve was talking about counting our blessings at the reunion court ministry yesterday. How about, how about counting this blessing? I am loved by my Lord and Savior. He loves us. And nothing can ever stop it. The moment we were saved, he poured all of his love into us. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but there's nothing you can do to cause him to love you less. There's nothing you can do to cause him to love you more because you have all of his love and you received it the moment you were saved. What we're doing is we're maturing and growing and learning how to appropriate this wonderful love that we've never known in the human realm. It's out of this world from anything we've ever experienced. And we're learning to appropriate it and we're growing and we're looking at the example of the way Jesus loved so that we might love this way. His love for us is not based on our actions. His love for us is based on His grace. There's, there's no foundation of love that's more, for, more firm. The Savior's love faithfully serves. Let me read verses 4 and 5 again. Maybe you haven't pictured it yet. Go ahead and picture it. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. The Savior's love faithfully serves. If you say you 
feel like God loves you. That's not the worst statement in the world. But it's not the best one in the world either. His love is far beyond a feeling. It's not just love in word. Many people say I love. But it's in action. His love is in action and it is shown how real it is in action. He washes his disciples' feet. That's love. And, and therefore, if Jesus Christ did that, there is no act of love that is beneath us. There, there's no act of love that is, that is too small for us to do. If Jesus could wash the feet of the unsaved betrayer, Judas Iscariot, then there's no act of love too, small, too lowly for us. People say the preacher ought to practice what he preaches. Well, Jesus did. Jesus perfectly did. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us what we want either. He's too smart for that. And we're maybe not smart enough for it. But he gives us what we need. Everything we need right on time. The disciples had not earned a foot washing. But they needed the love and humility. They needed not only to be loved in this way, they needed the example of this love and humility for themselves. Love led Jesus to do this. The love of Christ is a serving love. It serves through suffering. It, it, it serves through the worst slandering that could ever come upon us. And it serves in the smallest circumstance. We're trying to get the, the parking lot fixed out here, maybe a 10-foot by 10-foot area. It's starting to look like a crushed Pop-Tart. You crush that Pop-Tart in the bag and open it up, that's what part of our parking lot looks like. And what I believe needs to happen is about a 10-foot by 10-foot area cut out, and it need, need to build a form, need to put rebar in, need to be re-poured. And so I called somebody I kind of know with a company. And he said, I'm sorry, that's too small of a job for me. And I said, can you give me a referral? He said, I know a lot of smaller companies, but that's too small of a job for them. There's, there's no act of love that is too small for you and I to give. As a matter of fact, what we might call the smallest act of love... The most amazing things can come from a result of that. An encouraging card in the mail, you have no idea, but sometimes that's landing in someone's mailbox at divine timing, right when they needed it. There was no one in position for the small, lowly job of washing the feet 
the foot washing. The disciples wore sandals. They were open. They didn't have concrete like we're, like we're complaining about out here. They walked on the dirt. Their feet were dirty. And there was foot washing. There was typically a servant who would be there to wash the feet. But there was no servant there. And Jesus quickly jumped in there. And he took care of it. The foot washing might not be so much of a small job after all, though, the way Jesus took care of it. In verses 6 through 15, we've already read this, but we see a transition here from the physical dirty feet to the defilement in the life that happens in this world. When we become defiled by this world, we need to deal with it. We need to deal with it for our fellowship with Jesus. Those things that offend him, he doesn't have the baseball bat out ready to beat us over the head. But our fellowship with him is hindered. And so it's very spiritually healthy for you and I to confess, to agree with God about those things that offend him and to deal with that and to have the promise of the cleansing and the forgiveness that he gives. The washing of the feet. Peter says, wash my hands, wash my head also. No, Peter, you don't need all that washing. You're, you're cleansed, you're clean. You know, in, in Titus... Chapter 3 and verse 5, it talks, about, it talks about salvation, and included in that is cleansing. Titus 3, 5, where is it? There it is. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We have been washed. Our soul has been washed when the Lord saved us. We, we don't get completely washed again. You'll never find a, someone being saved twice in the Bible. And that's very concerning for people of a certain doctrine. You never find someone being saved twice. Our soul is cleansed and saved, period. Our feet, spiritually speaking, as touching this earth, as walking in this world, get dirty in this world. A dirty diamond still a diamond. Christian gets dirty in this world, but we're still a Christian. And we need daily cleansing. We, we emphasize the need to daily be in the word of God. To feast on the word of God daily. An hourly prayer life. To always be in the spirit of prayer. We need that and we emphasize that. Telling someone else about Jesus. When's the last time. We told someone about Jesus. For some of us the. The, the response to that might be, it's been too long. And, and so we talk about all of these things we're to do continually. But how about 
the washing and the cleansing promise and forgiveness that comes from going to God and agreeing with God about our sin. We need daily cleansing because we're still living in this world. And we need to wash one another's feet also. Not as an active ordinance in the church. There are two ordinances in the church. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's not a third ordinance of foot washing. One preacher I knew of that I agree with everything that, he, that I ever heard him preach. He said he accidentally attended a foot washing at a church one time. And it was beautiful, he said. But that doesn't mean it needs to be an ordinance in the church. Doesn't mean you'll never convince me that that was that 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 is meant to be implemented as an ordinance in the church. We don't need to present a picture of love and humility. Jesus has already done that. He did that for the disciples. We take it as our own. And so now it's a practice of love and humility among one another. It's not about an ordinance. It's about a. A due obligation that we have to each other. That we would wash one another's feet by loving each other. That we would wash one another's feet by humbling ourselves before one another. And by forgiving each other. Extending to all others what Jesus Christ has extended to us to save our soul. I'm not going to hand out a piece of paper tonight like Big Bob did. And he had us all write a stick figure on a piece of paper. And he said, I'm sure you know someone who's unsaved. And they might be in your daily or weekly circle. And you're going to run into the, to them. He said, he said, will you do this? Whoever comes to your mind, will you tell them about Jesus this week? Man, I had... Who, who came to my mind, came in my path, and it wasn't even expected. But that's another story for another day. I'm not going to ask that, that we close our eyes and imagine a stick figure and imagine someone. But I will ask that we all be sensitive to someone or some people who may come to our minds that we need to love with the love of Christ. How does the love of Christ love? Remember, he loved Judas. We need to humble ourselves before someone else and serve them. Someone who doesn't deserve it. That's all of us, by the way. That's, this is Christ's humility and Christ's love. And we need to forgive someone. We need to cancel the debt. Let, let me speak as, as though I know that someone needs to forgive someone else. I don't know that about anyone in this room or anyone I know who may be listening online at all. But let me just speak as though I know that someone needs to forgive. And say, aren't, aren't you tired of the uneasiness, the pressure, the paper-thin justifications for not loving them. For not forgiving them. Hasn't it gone on long enough? 
Let us free ourselves from the miserable condition by setting someone free with forgiveness. For, for, for what? For maybe one thing? For maybe one event? For maybe one instance of what they've done in our lives? And then we look at Jesus Christ who forgave all. He forgave it all. And speaking as though I know of an evident situation, it's one thing that we need to cancel the debt of in someone else's life. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what his love does. That will be the love of Christ produced in us and working in and through us. And that is real Christianity. Oh, what that will do for the body of Christ. If we continually love like this. Oh what that will do for the church. If we would continually love like this. What would that do for a lost and dying world. If they saw love. Like this going on. Verse 34 and we'll close. Jesus says a new commandment. I give unto you. That ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So, don't leave here saying, well, Brother Kenneth said, and Brother Kenneth said that. Jesus says this. Jesus says, love one another, humble ourselves before one another, and forgive one another. And with that, we are going to close in a word of prayer Really, really am excited for the good things that continue to go on at our Villas Outreach Ministry on Thursday night with Brother George and his family and Steve and, and others who attend there. And I'm going to ask Brother George to close us in a word of prayer. But before I do, we have some guests here. I, Hazel, is that right? Every, Hazel was with us Sunday, so everybody meet Hazel unless she's in a hurry before you leave. And we're so glad to have everyone as our guest tonight. Brother George.